right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I wanted to kick that off because people say things like courage or bravery, and it's always really easy to go, yeah, 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 I'm brave. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. Um, but I want to start with a quote. So Aesop said that it is easy to be brave from a distance. Mm -hmm. Again, it's easy to be brave from a distance. Yeah. And I think that when we talk about stories and how storytellers, um, the difference between somebody who's okay and somebody who's great is bravery. I think that's right? true. They're willing to go there and to not stay at a distance. They're mm -hmm. willing to go in, yeah. right? To run into the battle of the story, mm -hmm. right? And to be present. So on this week's episode, we're going to talk about why it's so important for storytellers to be brave. That makes, yeah, it's it's a really hard thing for people to do. I don't think people understand even what it means when you talk about storytelling, to be brave. Wait, you're just making first, stuff up. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear that Aesop quote? People hide. I think about people hiding. What I mean is people hide behind technique or they'll hide behind a cool concept or they'll hide. They find ways to hide um, and not reveal themselves. Mm -hmm. Or they'll say things like, um, they'll say things like, well, I didn't really have a point, right? Um, but that's, I think that's cowardly. Yeah. That's a cowardly way to be a storyteller. Yeah. It sounds arty. Yeah. Or it sounds like, um, yeah, it's a false sense of bravery. Yeah. You know who's really brave is the person that just steps into it. Yeah. This is, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. It's so much easier to stand in the shadows, right? It's like, it's like being a cynic. You know how easy it is to be a cynic? It's so easy. It, it's, um, and it's, it's funny because it can fool people. Help me understand. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, it fools people, right? If, if you're a cynic, um, if, if you're too good for everything, well, pff, that, yeah. right? That's easy. You don't have to defend it. You don't have to, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. You can just um, somehow fool people into thinking you're so smart, nothing impresses you, um, you know, um, and you're not revealing much about yourself mm -hmm. when you do that. Yeah. You know, um, I think people are afraid to reveal themselves in stories and in life, but certainly in stories. And um, it's a way of not doing that. You hide behind cynicism. Is especially now in the yeah. last few years has become a kind of fashion. Yeah. It's fashionable. It's fashionable not to have convictions. Oh, boy. A hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. People love it when somebody has some conviction about why they care about these things or they're moved emotionally and this is why it's important to me. And then there's people that's like, oh, that person's weak. Right. Right. Or you, we talked about Spielberg a lot where they're like, oh, yeah. Or Capricorn or whatever. It's like, you know how easy it is to sit there and throw lightning bolts at a guy like Frank Capra or Steven Spielberg? Yeah. You know how much harder it is to do something that actually helps people? Yeah. And to, um, you know that that's coming if you're somebody like that. You know that when you make something that is heartfelt and sentimental mm -hmm. and vulnerable, somebody will attack you. Yep. And you do it anyway. That That's a kind of very specific kind of bravery. Yep. Right? To know you're going to be attacked for being sentimental. Because it's it's really vulnerable to be sentimental. Yep. Right? It's um, 
you want to do a movie where a ton of people get shot or a story where a bunch of yeah. people get killed or whatever, you, you haven't risked anything. Yeah. Right? But if you're going to do a story about a little boy and an alien and, you know, yeah. like, you're risking something because you can look ridiculous. Yeah. You could look ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I, I'm not sure. I don't understand this resistance to, to, to uh, sentimentality. But Capper talked about it specifically. Like, there's a intellectual set that thinks anything sentimental is just bad by virtue of being sentimental. Hmm. Um, and the funny, because when I hear sentimental, I, I hear human. Mm-hmm. And I'm convinced, I've talked about it on before, like, I'm convinced that the future of story, branding, whatever, all these things we've talked about is a race to vulnerability, mm-hmm. right? And the people that aren't willing to be vulnerable and take shots at people that are, right? They're just cowards. Like, that's just how it works. Yeah. I you know, you're just sitting there behind your sunglasses, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, eh, it's nothing. It requires nothing to do that. Yeah. Right? It, it takes a ton to be vulnerable. I mean, the book you're writing right now, yeah, is a very difficult. It's the hardest book you've probably ever written. Yes, right? it is. Yeah, yeah. Because it's so personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a memoir. Um, yeah, that's hard, and it's about my brother's murder, and yeah, you know. So yeah, it's a serious thing to be writing about. Yep. Um, um, for all kinds of reasons, um, and and I find myself actively being brave when I'm writing it, actively going, that's, I don't want to write about that. You're thinking that you're like, man, that's the last thing I want to write about. And then I write about it. Why? Because it's not about me. Right. Explain that. Well, you, you want to set up where we're, why I, what, where we came up with that idea. Not about you. We were talking about. I don't remember where. We're well, because we were talking about, um, a piece oh, that's that right. I can't. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We had made this film. And it was about this these folks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and granted, it was awesome that in the interviews, they were willing to be vulnerable. Right. Right? Which is huge. But then when they saw the film, what kind of scared them was how vulnerable they were in the film. Right. Right? And so it's like, then usually what ends up happening is going, hey, can we make... Can, I love the film, but can we do the film but just take out all the vulnerability? Mm-hmm. Um, because then it wouldn't be scary anymore, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so that's pretty much the background on that thing. I've thought about this a lot. I mean, you said this to me like a month ago or whatever, but I can't tell you how many times I've thought about this. And and I was like, so that's where the film's at, Brian. And you were like, oh, well, the mistake is they think it's about them. And I was like, well, it is about them. Yeah. But what did you mean by that when you said... When you're telling a story, it's a service, right? I'm telling you about something personal in my life to help you. Mm -hmm. So it's not about me. It's about you. It's a service. Yeah. And if I hold back, right? If I, well, think about it like a 12 step program or something, right? If, if I'm trying to explain to you what it was like to hit rock bottom and I hold back, well, I don't Mm. want to talk about, Uh, that's good. Yeah. I don't want to talk about, you know, when I threw up at my kid's classroom or whatever. Yeah, right. Right. But that's exactly what the other person needs to hear. Yep. So you, who's it serving? If, if it's serving just you, it's probably not going to be a very good story in the end. Mm-hmm. But if you think of it as a service to others. Yep. Then it's a much easier pl- place to 
be vulnerable from. Oh, it's not about me. Yep. Okay. I need to push past this because that's superficial. Like I have to put something out there yeah. that will genuinely help. And here's the reason why that story about throwing up in your kid's classroom is important because it's true. Right. And that's what happens. Right. And anybody who's been in that state goes, thank you for saying that because I've done something similar. Right. 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 It's that's how, it's the mirror neuron thing. Mm-hmm. Right. You drew a picture today where you drew a bunch of circles together and then you drew an X. Mm hmm. And it seems like it's that type of thing. Will you tell that story? Yeah. So my my film, Whiteface, you know, it's about the problems uh, clowns would have if they're an actual race of people. Anyway, uh, years ago, I showed this film someplace, some event or something, and a woman came up to me afterwards and she said, oh, that reminds me of a film that I show. I think she she taught diversity training or did something like that. And she said, there's an animated film uh, where there's a bunch of O's hanging out, playing together or something, and then there's an X all by itself. And um, I don't know how the rest of the film went, but basically she said, you know, so the, the, the X is the outsider. And she said, every time I show that film, everybody says, oh, I'm the X. Every single person thinks they're the X. That's why you should tell the story about throwing up in the kid's class. Right. Because they're not going to think about you and go, they're going to think about, oh, man, I've done something like that. Right. Right. Because right. no matter whether you like it or not, you're always going to be the X. Right. Right. Yeah. And so imagine if the. Imagine if whatever the O didn't tell the story because he was worried that you would see them. It's right. like they're not going to. No. Right. That's where the magic's at. Yeah. People don't usually see. They almost never see you when you when you're vulnerable. They see themselves. Yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy. And so. um being brave it, i mean it can be difficult it can be hard i'm, I'm really i'm going to say this i'm going to say this about my self-doubt or i'm going to say this about you know whatever it is yeah um that can be difficult because you feel like you're um revealing something that um you try to keep close to the vest and you don't maybe you don't even talk about it to yourself yeah right? <laughs> you know right um or maybe it's painful and you don't want to think about it or talk about it or whatever. Um, and that happens with, I think I've talked about it before on the show, but that happens with actors too, where if they're having difficulty with a scene sometimes or th- it's about um, not wanting to go to that place. So I did a, I was directing a scene from Marty mm-hmm. and um, I think I have talked about this, but that's okay. I was directing a scene from Marty and uh, there's a scene, there's a he, the scene with his mom and his mom is trying to get him to go out on a date and go out on dates and he's been rejected by a lot of women and so he says to his mom um he after, he's being kind of dismissive and polite about going out well I'm going to watch TV I'm going to you know and finally he kind of blows up and he goes you know mom uh, ma I'm a fat ugly little man and whatever it is women like I don't have it okay you got a bachelor on your hands he says and Anyway, it's a good scene. It's Patichevsky. And I was directing the scene with this actor, and he, he, he couldn't get it. He's a good actor, and he couldn't get it, and he couldn't get it, and he couldn't get it. Later, after that was all done, he called me up, and he said, I'm sorry I, I'm sorry I couldn't uh, do that. I, I, I didn't know what was tripping me up, and then I realized that's exactly how I feel about myself. Right. So that tripped him up. He thought he was mm-hmm. revealing something. Instead of playing the character, those are lines from the character. Right. 
they're not his lines. But in order to play it, he had to tap into that part of himself that believed that about himself, and that was a place he didn't want to go. Mm-hmm. My guess is if we had been able to do it again, he would have gone ahead and gone there. Once he could realize that that was what was Yeah. Like. I bet that's true, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good enough actor that he may have done that. Um, hmm. I would suspect that he would. I wonder how many writers right now, or storytellers in general, are listening to this right now going, oh, man, that's why that didn't work. Mm-hmm. That's why that play didn't work. That's why my speech didn't work. That's why my novel didn't work is I got this close to the line. Yeah. It was easy for me to be brave from a distance. Yeah. I had all this intention. Man, this is the novel I'm going for. This is the movie I'm going for. Yeah. And then they got close and go, I don't want to talk about alcoholism because it makes me think about my dad or my right. 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 And they got this close to doing something wonderful. Yeah. And yeah. they realized it'd be, it, you know, it's better to stay at a distance. Yeah. Well, people, like I always tell people, it's like about understanding things. Like they're, they're like, um, they don't like a challenge sometimes when I'm teaching and they're like, I don't get that. I don't get that. And they, and they, they don't want to put themselves at risk. They don't like feeling uncomfortable not knowing Mm-hmm. Like, I already know how to do this one thing. Like, I know somebody's going to be trouble when they enter my class and they say, I already know how to write. Yeah. Uh-huh. And or, they tell you right, right out of the yeah, first class. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm a poet, so I know about uh-huh. writing. Yeah. You know, they think all that screenwriting is is, like, the formatting. So they're like, I just want to know how to put the – like, there's so many things they don't know. Yeah. They don't know what they don't know. And what they've said is, I'm not willing to learn anything, really. That's what they're saying, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just come into the class and sit there and hear what I have to say. You don't have to tell me what you know or don't know or what you think you know, yeah. right? Don't you're 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 cutting you're cutting off information because you're afraid you're going to go to a place where you don't understand things. Oh, that's you don't know things, right? So, so they're saying that as a way of saying, listen, just so you know, as long as you stay in this box. I'll be safe. Yeah. But do not push me beyond that (laughs) because that might be painful. Right. And I always say to people, you can't break through the wall unless you hit the wall. Yeah. Right. You, there's just no way you're not going to have a breakthrough, um, with how deep your story is or with how good of a storyteller you are, unless you're willing to hit that wall. The, you know, if you avoid the wall, well, there's a safe zone and you're not going to, it's never going to work. Why do people avoid the wall? People don't want to be uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Um, I it reminds me of uh, an interview I I read with Frank Darabont when he after he had done Shawshank I think, and it was an interview and somebody said, uh, "Well, that couldn't have been fun to write." The interviewer said, and Frank Darabont's like, "Well, no." There's other reasons to do things. <laughs> and and yeah. that's just it. It's like, well, yeah, he wasn't interested in having fun. That wasn't the point of that piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but that sometimes when things become work rather than fun, that's when people bail. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I just wanted to write a fun little story, and now you're making it have to make it about something, and now it's too much like work, I'm leaving. Yep. Or I have to dig emotionally. I don't yep. want to do that. And then they start coming after you because they think that you are trying to put them in pain. Right. I mean, that happens all the time, right? Like yep. We could be pushing a creative team or something, and all of a sudden it's like, why are you pushing this hard? Right. Right? Like, 
I don't, I don't know. It's scary. It's scary to the idea that I have to go pitch that or I have to, yep. it's scary to think that we have to, we're going to go in there with that big idea that nobody's done before. Like it's scary. It's like, what are you really worried about? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. You're going to pitch it and the whole world will fall apart. Or it's like, what's really the problem? Yeah. Right. And they're avoiding the wall. And the problem is the longer they avoid the wall, then you get stuck on this side of the wall and you never know what it's like on the other side of the wall. And there's always excuses. Yeah. Right. Those guys were jerks or, you know, well, yeah. they just didn't get it yeah. or whatever. It's like you just were for you. It's just easier to be, you know, from the distance. Yep. Right. Yeah. It's the benefits of the conviction, the benefits of the bravery. Right. Yeah. Without the cost. Like how often do we watch a movie and it'll be like, man, you see that, that scene in Iron Giant or whatever. And it's so like precise. Yeah. And you go like, man, when I bet when they were sitting down to write that, they must have been like, man, people are going to see right through this or this is too on the nose. Yeah. Or right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And they still did it. Right. That's the hard stuff. That is hard. That is hard. I told you what Glenn King told me about The Little Mermaid, right? The Mm -hmm. scene, you know, where she's uh, part of this world, part of that world, whatever. Yeah. And she's reaching up. And when Glenn was drawing that, he said that he thought he'd gone too far. Yeah. Like, well, this is what she's feeling. That's what I'll draw. But he felt like he'd gone too far, like it was a little over the top. And he people talk to him about that scene all the time. And uh, he there's a Disney animation book with uh, reproductions of the drawings and stuff of different cartoons, different animated features. And there's a Little Mermaid thing. A couple of – Glenn has a few pieces in there. And I asked Glenn to sign his favorite drawing in the book to me, and he signed that drawing of a... Oh, really? That's his favorite one, because I think it represents how brave he was. Yep. He's proud of how brave he was. Not the drawing necessarily, but how brave he was to yep. go to this place that he was a, he was frightened of. Yep. He was frightened, and he did it anyway. Yeah, and, and frightened, but he did it anyway. Yeah, that's there's that uh, John Wayne quote where he says something like, "Courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyways," mm-hmm. something like that, right? You know, it's like it's not the lack of fear. No, no, it's uh, well, it's when um, when I was working on the show Hoarders, um, hold your applause, <laughs> but when I was working on Hoarders, um, there was one episode where there was a counselor talking to one of these these people. I don't know if it was a show that I worked on or not. I can't remember. But there was a counselor talking to one of these, these hoarders. And, and uh, it was really cool because what they said is, okay, so I'm going to point to some things, pick up some things, and we're going to see if they can stay or go. He said, but uh, he said, if you feel some anxiety, that's gonna. That's a good feeling. That's telling us that that probably needs to go. Interesting. Yeah. I thought he was about to say the opposite. No. No. That, so he says, if there's anxiety, that means it's probably time for that to go. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So he set them up emotionally. Yeah. Because they're used to, right? Just like all of us, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're used to like, well, if it feels anxious or bad or hard, that means it's bad, right? Yeah. But he said, no, that's good, right? Huh. Because that means they're going into that place of bravery, right? They're going into that place of vulnerability, right? Like, yeah. I don't know if I want to get rid of that glass, you know, that 
You know what I mean? I've had yeah. that glass since I was 12 years old. And, you know, yep. I was like, yeah, but you got 20 of them, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so he's like, yeah, lean into that. And that's exactly what you have to do when you're being creative. Oh, this scares me. Most yeah. people pull off. Yeah. Almost everybody pulls off. Um, or, and this will be an interesting topic, they do something that looks brave but is not. Mm. Right? Like being a shock jock type of a person. Oh, right. On the surface, I think people go, that's really brave. Right. It's not. It's not brave. Right? Like, I don't give a shit what anybody thinks. Right? I know we, yeah. normally, I know we normally don't call out movies. Yeah. But like, The Joker is not a brave movie. Mm-hmm. It just isn't. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just something that will embolden people to do awful things to each other. Mm-hmm. That's just how it is. And I don't give a shit about the acting and how good it was <laughs> right, yeah. or how it was shot, right? Yeah. On the surface, people might go, what a brave film. There's nothing brave about that film. Mm-hmm. It is really easy to make something like that. It's way easier than people think it is. Sure. Right? Like, it's really easy to be the the Rush Limbaugh of radio. Right. Right? Where you come in and you're just yelling and screaming and shooting people in the fucking head and stuff like that is right. really simple. Right. That's right? true. It's simple. I just want people to understand that like, that's not brave. Mm-hmm. It just true. isn't. Right. And I think that it's people mistake style for content. All the time. Right. Um, if you take somebody, it'd be like, if you took a movie about Jeffrey Dahmer and at the end, he's the good guy. There's nothing brave about that. No. Right. No. You say all the time, you're like, stories are medicine or poison. And this is why this is like, I know this episode, it's like people are going to freak out. But mm-hmm. it's like, you have to understand the way mirror neurons work, right? Mm-hmm. You, How many times have you said like, Shawshank, I'm sorry, not Shawshank, Schindler's List is necessary. Because they take you and you see these awful things and they take you to hell. But you have to do that. Right. You right? can't. Some things are violent and it's cheap mm-hmm. yeah that yeah that's right yeah it's cheap yeah it's not necessary i was actually talking the other day about this really great scene i think david lean cut the movie he might have directed the movie and i can't remember if it's great expectations great uh, expectations he, he directed that. Yeah, yeah but i can't remember if that's the scene is in there mm-hmm. or not but it doesn't matter but it's a scene where a guy is getting murdered and it's a pretty brutal murder, but you never see it. This guy has a dog, hmm. and you see the dog, and the dog gets kind of scared, and the murder's happening, oh, and the really dog smart. scratches at the door trying to get out, oh, that's and the really whole smart. time the murder's happening. Oh, that's great. It's ama- it's amazing. Yeah. You never see the murder. You just see this dog trying yeah. to get out, make, arr, arr, making noises and oh, trying to get so out. Oh, so good. It's really good. Um, they don't make that choice anymore, most no. people. They have to show you everything. So much more intense. Oh, it's really intense. But in the case of Schindler's List, you have to show the brutality of it to make your point. Mm-hmm. You have to show it. And they don't even show everything. Yeah. But what they do show you, it's there to make a point. Um, and if you pull off of it... No you- one leaves Schindler's List and goes, I kind of sympathize with the Nazis. No. If you did, well, right? Yeah, you have other issues. You have other things going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so 
the the bravery there is to well the bravery there too in that piece is that and this is where some people have criticisms of that piece is the hope aspect of it hmm. right um but i i i think that because cynicism is easy right so it's yeah. easy to go well uh, you know but i think saying that you can be a good person under the worst circumstances mm-hmm. is a valuable thing. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think it's a valuable thing to say that to people. And that's a brave thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because you know, you're going to get shot at by a bunch of people that, um, it's convenient for them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. To have that worldview. Yeah. Right. Um, but it's not going to help anybody. No. Because life is hard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's important for us to know that, that in the worst of circumstances, you can still be a good person. Yeah. Right. Who are you going to be when things get rough? Who, who are you going to be? Yeah. And I think that we live in a, in the United States, most of us live in a fairly comfortable situation. Not all of us, but mm-hmm. m- as a, as a group, as a society, yeah. more than some other countries, we live in a pretty safe environment, mm-hmm. relatively speaking compared to other places. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, gunshots every day but you know what yeah. i mean so i don't think we understand how bad things can get and um and we don't with with climate change and all of that like things might get bad mm-hmm. those stories will become way more valuable then mm-hmm. what kind of a person am i going to be if society breaks down i mean we're going to have refugees from climate change, people are going to, you know. Oh, man. I, I told you today the doomsday clock moved up, right? Yeah. And it's the it's the closest it's ever been. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the funny thing is, and I get it. I get that Hollywood, all that matters, if it makes money, who gives a shit? I understand that that's the whole model. Right. Right? And that they're going to make 20 more Joker movies because they don't give a shit. Right. And they, have ze- they feel they have zero responsibility to poisoning the audience. I understand that. Right. Because all the other bullshit around like, I don't have a responsibility to the audience and blah, 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 blah. And then people go, well, it's a nuanced thing. Bullshit. It's all fancy stuff that sounds good. But at the end of the day, it cost them nothing to do that. That's true. Right. Let's just talk about from a business perspective. Do you know how well a movie like E.T. would do right now? Yeah, I know. I don't know why. In the midst of like all the craziness on the planet and the doomsday clock and all the like repercussions of climate change and politics, somebody actually had the guts to make something like ET. Yeah. Watch it explode. Like it would be nuts. It would be nuts. And it pull. you know how easy it is to pull people apart? Yeah. You know how hard it is to bring people together? You were saying that the other day, you were talking about how like, um, that was like a marker of. Oh, I was saying that. Yeah. Because uh, in the golden theme, in my mm-hmm. book, The Golden Theme, I talk about how essentially I was looking when I created that that book, wrote that book. I was looking, I had been looking for years for something that was sort of a unifier. What do all stories have in common? Yeah. What are all good stories? What are they saying at their core? And uh, you, I mean, I, I won't go to, into it here, but The Golden Theme is all about that. And I called it The Golden Theme. And The Golden Theme is that we're all the same. That at, at its core, every good story is saying that. And the closer it gets to saying that, the more powerful the story is. But they all say it because it's mirror neurons. And, yeah, right? yeah, sure. So they all say it on some level. And there are people who don't believe that, whatever. But 
they they like to believe in our uniqueness, right? But it's that thing where um, everybody thinks they're the X, mm-hmm. right? Because everybody has a thing that they're going through or have been through that they think nobody else is going through or have been through. Everybody has that. So we all have that in common. Yeah. So in that way, we are still all the same. Yeah. Right. The fact that you're unique, you know, you're unique, I'm unique, that person's unique. We have that in common. Right. Right. So um, when you look at history, the the heroic people, the people who, who when history, you know, passes them by and we're looking yep. pa- back, the people who said that people are all different are the bad people. Yep. They're always the bad people. Always. And the people that said we're all the same, always good people. Yep. That's always true. And what people don't understand is that's a tactic. As long as I can pull people apart, I can control groups of people. Yep. Right? As long as I can go, uh, Germans are the master, like Aryans. As long as I can do that, then I have sway over a group of people. Right. When people are united, there's nothing you can do to them. Right. Right. They'll be like, well, that's not true. I mean, this person's my friend and I don't, (laughs) why why would that, why would the color of someone's skin? Like, what are you talking about? Right. But if you can, if you can divide people, um, it's a fantastic tactic Right? right, to control entire populations. Yeah, that's why it's so easy to be divisive. Yeah, and if you're a politician and you and you and you, all you do is divide people, and those people that are being divided have no idea that they're pawns. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. that is so simple. Driving a wedge is easy. Driving a wedge in a tree is easy. Try growing a tree. Right, much more difficult. Yep. Right. Well. I told you this is going to be an interesting episode. Yeah, well, and I don't give a shit about the people that go, "Oh, you don't get it, Jesse, on the Joker thing." Right. right? Listen, you can take the king of comedy. Yeah. And you can take Taxi, Taxi Driver, Taxi Driver. Yeah. And you can go, "I'm going to make a movie." But the problem was in both of those scenarios, no one wanted to be Travis. <laughs> right. Right. And if you go back to the X thing, where it goes, everybody thinks they're an X. Yeah. The X. That's why that's a problem that you make the Joker the X. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. everybody knows what it's like to feel like ostracized. There's a line before he blows that dude's head off. Right. Robert De Niro's character where he says something like, because if I was dead, you would have walked right over me. Right. When people hear that, they go, I felt like it's like you are now aligning their brain. Yeah. With this psychopath. Yeah. And by the way, since there's no Batman to come in. Right. 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 All of a sudden people start to go, I think it was really brave. Right. Mm-hmm. You've talked about it before. We were like, there's nothing wrong with an orange, but if you take the sugar out of an orange, right? Right. It can oh, damage us. Right. The right? sugar all by itself is essentially poison. Yes. Right. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with having a great villain. No. Right. Because it illuminates how much bigger the hope has to be. Oh, yeah. Right. But if you take the villain out of the context and all of a sudden you see like Harley Quinn's got a movie. Again, you guys want to talk about new movies? Let's talk about new movies. <laughs> right, all yeah. of a sudden you go, oh, let's give Harley Quinn a movie. Why? Suicide Squad was garbage, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't it. care. Yeah. You shouldn't. Yeah. But it's like, because they don't understand. Oh, it's a novel thing. Let's take the bad guys out of movies, Yeah. right? And make them the good guys. Or at the very least, put them at the center of the universe and you go, why? Mm-hmm. You don't know what you're messing with. No. It's like saying, what if we took an atom and split it? Yeah. Yeah. And you go, why? And you're like, well, that'd be an interesting experiment. <laughs> yeah. Unintended consequences. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, we it were talking about- It doesn't make any sense, Brian. Well, I feel like I'm losing my mind. Yeah. Well, I was talking to you about Rod Serling's piece. I forget the name of the movie. I've actually never seen it. Um, uh, but he, he wrote a movie 
um, television movie where this was in the late 60s or early 70s or something. And he wrote this movie where somebody took a bomb on a plane. Yeah. And um, but then people copied it. And, you know, and so he he was not happy about that and thought, oh, I have a responsibility. I can't just put anything out. Yeah. Right. You never hear that anymore. All you hear is I have no responsibility. Right. I have no responsibility for what I put out. It's like, really? Yeah. You know, that's it's one thing. Look, there's going to be pushback on anything. And maybe there's a reason to be violent. Maybe there's a reason to show this or maybe there's a reason to show that. I understand if you're standing behind something. Yeah. Because you because you're serving a greater. Totally. I'm on board with that all day long. I don't care. It's not about the nudity or it's not about the violence. It's not about any of that. It's just when it has no purpose. Yeah. And it's sold and it's sold because we're going to talk about if we want to talk about branding and it's sold as like empowerment or some other bullshit because slavery is always sold as freedom. Right. Right. That's and you go like, oh, yeah, he's an empowered character. He's not an empowered character. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is we live in a world where people don't know the difference. Right. Mm -hmm. They're consuming things, but they don't know what's in it. Right. You don't understand. It's like you're consuming food, but you don't know what's in the food. And you don't understand that when it goes in here. There yeah. are consequences. I heard a... Um, you leave them with nothing. Yeah. I heard an interview with a woman whose father invented Lunchables. Hmm. She's very proud of her father. He invented Lunchables, you know, and that's a big thing. And one day she was with him and she was proud and she brought out her Lunchables. Like, I'm going to eat my Lunchables. And her dad was like, oh, don't eat that. Yep. Don't eat that. Like why? Well, it's full of this and full of that and full of this, and uh, and all I could think was, you will feed that to other people's kids. A hundred. You will not let your own kid eat it. Yep. What's the matter with you? What is the matter with you? How many of these stories do you hear about a guy who started Facebook? Right? They were like, oh, I was one of the first people on Facebook. And you're like, I don't let my kids on Facebook. Or they're like, yeah. Steve Jobs. What does he say? He's like, oh, I don't let my kids use an iPad. Yeah. And you go, hold on. <laughs> Why'd you sell them to us? Because you know a bunch of stuff we don't know. Right. What do you know that we don't know? Yeah. Oh, don't eat that. Those Lunchables, that's awful for you. It's like, oh, but it's cool to sell it to all the poor kids. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. It's convenient. Yeah. There's another thing, too, where you go like, let's say you invented Lunchables, right? Uh-huh. And then you're like, oh, I was just trying to make an affordable thing or whatever. And then five years later, you realize like, oh, this is really bad for people. And then you go like, oh, I didn't realize what I was doing. That's totally different that's than going- Oppenheimer. Yeah. Right. That is totally. I'm not talking about those folks because yeah. we all make mistakes and we got to figure things out. Yeah. But once you're aware of it, like Oppenheimer. Yeah. Right. Then you got to go. I got to spend the rest of my life trying to. Because yeah. there's no putting the genie back in the bottle. Right. Yeah. But that's character, dude. Yeah. Obviously, he had the character to go. What? Yeah. Oh, you we shouldn't that? do that. Let's yeah. not do that anymore. And then he goes like, okay. At least for me, I'm like, it's not about just like judging people it's just understand that you're you're running through this world with a with like a weapon in your hand if you're a storyteller yep and you could use that to try to protect people you could use it as a like even like a flashlight to show things or you can use it right tools, to, to mow people down tools and weapons are always the same oh that's interesting right tools and weapons are always the same the same a knife mm-hmm it's a tool and a weapon. It's always that way. Yeah. Right? The A computer, the internet, tools and weapons are always the same thing. Yep. Right? So a sto- 
the story's that way too. So you you can't you can you can weaponize it. You can weaponize stories. Yeah. Yeah, you can use data to help cure cancer. Or you can weaponize it against people. Right. Right? Right. To get them to buy stuff they don't need, to do things, right? There's a um, documentary on Auschwitz where they talk to to people who were guards. They talk to, you know, they talk to all these people. And and there's this one person they talk to, this German who says, well, you have to understand how we felt about Jews. You have to understand that it was in our nursery rhymes. That it was in our nursery fairy rhymes. Tales. That's really interesting. That you you have to understand that from the time we were children, we were told how awful the Jews were. So it was easy for Hitler to tap into that, right? So all the seeds have been planted right. through stories that he could capital, he could water those right. seeds. Yeah, it was already there. Yeah, right. Um, you know, it was already there in the history of Europe, and you know what I mean. You know, yep. um, and all of these. You know, like the depictions of the devil. Yeah. The early depictions of the devil are very different than what happened later. They they started caricaturing the devil uh, and making the devil have more stereotypical Jewish yep. features. Right? So so there was all of this in the culture. It was very easy to tap into. Yeah. But it's interesting, the weaponizing of, like, we'll tell it to the kids in fairy tales. Man, go after, after the kids. You always go after the kids. It's yeah. one of the first steps. Yeah. Yep. You know, um, and fairy so- tales and nursery rhymes. That's crazy. The nursery rhymes thing I hadn't heard. Yeah. Like that's so powerful. Isn't it? Yeah. It's hypnotic. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So of course people are primed for it, you know? Um, and, and instead of saying, By the way, here's the thing. It's here's what people have to understand. That was a mistake. We were writing a nursery rhyme and we actually, un, we like, <laughs> right, you know what I mean? Right. Like yeah. it wasn't a mistake that they made a nursery rhyme that did that. No. Right? It wasn't somebody who was just like, oh, it's everything just rhymed that way. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's all, all of it is intentional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody's doing it on purpose. It's serving someone mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah. Who's it serving? Yes, we always have to ask. Like, well, and again, dividing people, right? Always dividing, yep. But stories can do both things, right? Stories are tools. Yep. Can bring people together too. Yep. Right? Um, so, you know, um, I, there's that thing where Martin Luther King Jr. said um, that we all arrived on different ships, but we're in the same boat now, <laughs> mm. which is such a great quote yeah, that's great. that says essentially we're all we're all together in this. Yep. You know, whereas uh, somebody else is talking about how we're all different and how they're yep. bad and how we're better. And uh-huh. right. And. You get a lot of you, if you tell somebody they're better than somebody because that feels good. I'm better, mm-hmm. right? That's a really great way. To, you you don't because it, it, you got to do both things. You have to say they're bad and we are great. Mm-hmm. You can't just say they're bad. You yep. have to say we're great and they are bad. Yep. Right? Because you have to elevate the same time. Yeah, the word great that. is a really powerful word. Yeah. Superior. Mm. We're superior. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah. It's the same playbook. Yeah. It's always the same playbook. Always. Yeah. It never and changes. Look and look into it, this stuff, it's crazy. And it it never changes, and it always works. Always. It's nuts. Yeah. We don't learn. No. Which, by the way, people say this to me all the time about armatures and having, you know, it's like, yeah, because they're, they're looking for new armatures. So mm-hmm. they'll say, 
Yeah, but that's been said. Oh, yeah, but that's been said. But we never learn. So, yeah. right? So yeah. we have to feed on these stories a lot. Yeah. So they become part of us. And so telling the same armature story with the same armature is not bad. Because it's not like if if we learned it, we'd be living in a utopia. That's right. Right? Yeah. But we, we don't. Yeah. We don't. When I was in New York not that long ago, there's that bull on Wall Street, you know? Yeah. And there are a bunch of people, you know, and it's it's bronze. And yeah. There are all these people getting their pictures. There's a big line of people trying to get their picture taken in front of this bull. And I, and I immediately go to stories. Mm-hmm. And I said, this can't be good. People all worshiping this golden cow. <laughs> that's hilarious i never thought about that yeah i was like this can't be good this doesn't end well oh that's good right that's really because it represents money and it represents these things that are not human really that's really interesting yeah i was like oh this is bad and people were like look at me with the golden cow that's really funny because they say that like america's not religious anymore whatever it's like america's super religious it's just god god is money right and it has been since the beginning of america like yeah. If you go looking for a theme in America, <laughs> you will find one. Yeah. Right. And so you're exactly right. The golden calf. That's hilarious. I can't believe. Like I never thought about that before. That's really good. <laughs> yeah. It was almost you know? like I just I couldn't believe what I was watching. Uh-huh. I had to stand there and watch. I'm like I'm not getting my picture taken. You know. It's like oh, but there's man. a story about that. Like yeah. You know. You got a story about this. Yeah. That's really smart. Yeah. So yeah, it's like it was really interesting to watch. You know what's really funny is I've been reading about how like one of the ways that um, people are cutting into cultures through memes Mm -hmm. and how like they can watch the types of memes that are getting posted and they can tell if they're coming from Russia or if they're because it's it's these really slight turns Hmm. right so it's just a silly little goofy meme but it's going after like Hillary Clinton or something. So okay. and, and they can watch and see like how the memes, these micro these micro stories, yeah, are are little tiny ways in, mm-hmm. right? And then they can start to like expand. Right. It's really really interesting stuff. Yeah. Um. But the problem is the people consuming them don't realize that it's 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 a tactic, right? Well, it, and it, I don't want to get crazy or anything. No, but no. You know what I'm saying? But like, it's con- it's confirmation bias, right? So yeah, if people 100%. already have a yeah. thing. Uh-huh. And you go, what about this? Like, I, I look, I don't want to, you know, I don't <laughs> want to start talking episode. about uh-huh. Trump or, yeah, you know, uh-huh. but yeah. I'll just say this. I've said this before, not on the show. If somebody tells you Trump did some awful, horrible thing, at least here in the Pacific Northwest, uh-huh. <laughs> everybody goes, sure. Right. Because confirmation. Yeah. Right. Now, if somebody said to you, you know, Trump on the weekends, he goes to orphanages and he he feeds kids. You'd be like, no, he doesn't. Right. Because you have you know who he is. Uh And so anything that feeds into who you think he is. Yeah, you're on board with that. You're on board with that. Totally. So if you're already iffy about the Jews. Right. And somebody. Yeah, that's right. Somebody says, what about this? You go, yeah, that's totally true. And they can you can get further and further and further down that rabbit hole. Then they got uh-huh. you. They yeah, got you. That's it. That's you know. Stories are as powerful as gravity, man. It's crazy. People don't understand that st- stories make the they make the world. Yeah, a hundred percent. Stories make the world. There's no world without stories. Yep. They make the world. Mm-hmm. Those people are like this. These people all yep. these things, it makes it makes the world it creates the reality we live in. 
dude, that one episode when you talked about uh, the story of whiteness. Yeah. And you think about that. Yeah, it took 100 years for that story to catch on. Yeah. Look at what's that. People don't understand it's invented. Yeah, they invented whiteness. It, well, there was no such thing as white because in Europe, nobody was white. Yeah. Right? Everybody was white, so nobody was white. People were like Irish, you know, or they <laughs> yeah. were Scottish or yeah, they yeah. were, you know, but they weren't or they were French. Yeah. They weren't white till they came to the colonies. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same thing. It was it was a story that helped them control popu- the pop. Yeah, they wanted to control money. populations. Yeah, yeah. and and the, land. Yeah, people at the top wanted to control populations, and so they I mean they wanted to say, "Hey, poor person, you have something in common with me. Please protect my interests." Yep. Right. <laughs> right. Protect my interests. Yeah. That was an invent. You can look it up. It's not a. Yeah. It's not a secret. Yeah. Some people invented it. Yeah. And said, "Well, you're white. I'm white." Now in Europe. Rich people did not care about poor people. In fact, they thought poor people were another race. Yeah. Right? Sure. Well, you're, they're mm-hmm. poor. They're another race. Yeah. We're better. We're yeah. superior to them. But when they came to the colonies, they needed them. So they said, you're one of us. Yeah. Which made the poor people feel good. Yep. Right? right? Oh, I'm aligned with the power structure. Uh-huh. Right? That's how you get poor people to fight for slavery in the civil war when they don't have any slaves crazy right yeah it's like (laughs) yeah you know stories man it's crazy Uh uh-huh it's insane yeah stories are yeah and we don't understand how much they guide us and because we don't understand that we'll we'll, we're vulnerable to them we're vulnerable to and that's what bothers me and i don't care i'm going back to the joker thing (laughs) yeah yeah and that's what bothers me about it Mm -hmm. is people don't understand how much they guide us yeah and right and all of a sudden there's i just in my head i got this like 14 year old kid who's already pissed off at the world mm-hmm. right and he's watching that fucking movie mm-hmm. and he doesn't know what's going on in his head and he's got confirmation bias and he's got mirror neurons firing at the same time yeah right and he's like i'm the joker right and if that's what success looks like if that's what it means to be a man or if that's what it means yeah. to have power. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Great. I have a model. Mm-hmm. And once someone has a model, it's very hard to break them from the model. I think. I because think. it becomes self-perception. Yeah. And then we got a problem. And if you think I'm lying, have you ever met a friend who has a tattoo of a logo? The logo could be Batman. The logo could be oh, yeah. Superman. Yep. Why? Mm-hmm. Why? Because that's a part of their, that's part of their, their view of themselves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that story has become a part of the view of themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And somebody did that. Yeah. And they don't even know that that is part of their life now. Right. Mm-hmm. They might be like, oh, I just, I just, you ever been over somebody's house and they're like, yeah, you know, I just like Wonder Woman. And you're like, yeah, clearly. It's like everywhere. And you're <laughs> yeah. like, but the whole thing is stories have no effect on us, right? Right. And you're like, yeah, totally. Right. Right. Well. By the way, Wonder Woman's not bad. I'm just. But you see no, no, saying? no, no. It's just funny. People don't. And if you point it out to them and you're like, wow, this story's really taking hold in your life. And they're like, what do you mean? No, it hasn't. I'm just a fan or whatever. Right. And that's not a bad thing to be a fan. I'm just saying, no, I look get around it. your world right now. Go home. If you're sitting in your room, <laughs> yeah. look around and go, what stories have molded and shaped you? Mm-hmm. A lot of them are good. Yeah, that's true. Right? Mm-hmm. I remember sitting in the theater watching Black Panther. 
And I, I don't know if people who aren't African-American, I don't know if they understand what was happening there. Hmm. What was happening there is that I remember when, uh, when I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark the first time. And I love Raiders of the Lost Ark. I got no complaints about Raiders of the Lost Ark. I got one, but, but I don't have, you know. But I remember when they met uh, Katanga, the pirate, Yeah. right? And I remember my friend Scott and I were like, who's this guy? I, I want to know about this guy. Like, this guy, why didn't this guy have a movie? Because yeah. growing up, you were always second. You were always the sidekick. You were always the, right? So yeah. it's like, and it's like, you, and it was so fun. You're like, I want to play along, right? I want to yeah. be, you know, like... In Star Wars, there was Leia for the, and Leia was cool. Like Leia yeah. was cool. Everybody knows that. Like yeah. she wasn't a pushover. She wasn't yeah, a uh-huh. like. And so uh, in Star Wars, uh, girls had Leia, but if you were a person of color, there was nobody until later when Lando came. But yeah. like, but there was nobody of color. So it's like I want to play. Who do yeah, you know? Right. I want to be part of this. Yeah. And there was something very special about Black Panther. Also, there was some honesty in Black Panther that I thought was uh, highly unusual. Um, when uh, the uh, Killmonger is in a museum at the beginning and yeah. he says to the, the curator at the museum that he's going to steal this piece, this African piece, and she's like, what? And he goes, oh, is that, you know, he, he goes, oh, oh, did you not steal it? Did you negotiate a fair price with my ancestors? Uh-huh. It's like, and black audiences are like, thank, somebody's talking about this. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Somebody's sure. talking about this. Yeah. That was medicinal. Yeah, dude. That was medicinal. Yep. And you could feel it in the room. You could feel it in the room. It was medicinal. So, what? You can't even believe people are talking. T- they said that. Yep. They said that. That's the truth of it. But nobody says it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and there was just something, you know, and I think for, you know, when we talk about Americans being immigrants. Yeah. And then we say, except Native Americans. Well, most African Americans aren't immigrants either. Not immigrants. My ancestors did not come here for a better life. That's not what happened. Right. Right. So what happens w- basically is like, would we have had a better life if we had, if, if that hadn't happened, if yeah. there had been no slave trade, would I have had a better life? Also, you know, Europe carved up Africa and caused all kinds of problems. So yeah. there's still problems from that. But but if none of that stuff had happened, yeah. could we have a Wakanda? We don't know. Africa's rich yeah. with resources, right? Yeah. Right. If everybody left it alone, what would it be? Yeah. Right. And so there's this idea of the potential. What What could we have become? Mm-hmm. What were we robbed of? Yeah, and I think that Wakanda became an idea, became this. Yeah, w- if we were allowed to do what we're capable of doing, capable of doing, who would we be? Hmm. What, what, what would we have done uninterrupted? What would we have yeah. done? Um, and I don't think people understand the power of that when you are almost always the sidekick. Yeah, you know. Yep. If you're there, you're almost always the sidekick. Yeah. Um, I mean, growing up, I was always, you know, like, oh, yeah, there's the my person, you know, (laughs) you know. Um, Yeah, it's it was uh, so. But that that's a uh, an example of a medicinal story. Yeah, because it was there were times when it was unbelievably honest in ways that um, were brave. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I've heard people go, ah, it was okay. It's like, oh, you, you're, you're not looking at the whole thing. Yeah. Like, there are things, I wish it had a first act and, you know, yeah. there are things. Uh-huh. Uh, but, uh, but I can't deny the medicinal. Yeah. And I also believe that the people who made that film felt the responsibility. Yeah. That feels, it feels like that. Right. It feels like that. And then people consume those stories. Yeah. So then like Major, my little boy, yeah. he dresses up like Black Panther. Sure, yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's like all this stuff matters. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right? But uh, th- but the honesty, and that honesty, you get pushback on that kind of honesty, right? Mm. Especially in this culture and especially when you talk about race, you get pushback, yeah. right? That's one of the problems. My, my book's got a lot. The new book has a lot yeah. of that stuff in it. I know there's going to be pushback. I, I yeah. don't know what else to do. Th- these are the facts, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, but you will get pushback. And so knowing that in a big movie, a big Marvel movie, knowing there's going to be pushback, yeah. um, but doing it anyway, that's, that's braver than people think. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, way it's... braver than people think. Yeah, it's risky. Yeah. And how much money did it make? It did all yeah. right. Yeah, it did all right. They, yeah. It, Excuse me. And that's the other thing. When people chase money and make the safe choice, they don't make the best choice. Right? Yeah. They could have made safer choices. Yeah. Well, you know, you might not want to talk about people stealing things from Africa. Yeah. Right? Rubs people And you can tell, like, there's other Marvel movies where they didn't do anything. Yeah. And nobody remembers, right? Yeah. I can't remember most of them. Yeah. To be honest, yeah, um, yeah, but, right, but yeah. I yeah. know it's a different thing, but I'm just saying, like, that's an example of somebody who goes, "Hey, if I'm going to make a movie, I want to make something with medicine in it." Yeah, right. Again, it's so much easier to make the Joker than it is Black Panther, and people don't know that because they think one is artier, and I think that they think it's that's easier, right? right. And everybody always goes the acting, and it's like, sure, it was great acting, yeah, and. Right. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's it's Lenny Riefenstahl. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Lenny Riefenstahl makes Triumph of the Will. Fuck, that's a hell of a connection to make. But you're 100%, yeah. Right? Lenny Riefenstahl makes Triumph of the Will, which is the film that says, look how superior we are, the, we Aryans are. And to be honest, and it's a hell of a film. It's really well made. Yes. That's the problem with it. Correct. Right? That's the pro- the problem with it is that it's well made. Yep. Um, That it was so convincing. Yep. You know, it's the thing that made Capra go, oh, I see. He knew we had to fight this war. Because that was what turned him. Yep. When he saw that film, that's when Frank was like, "Uh uh-oh, they're going to win. Right. But Frank Capra was smart enough to watch the, it was the film that, if they can make films like this, right? Right. They're going to beat us. Why did he know that those films were that, he knew, like, he clearly understood the power of, the moving picture. Right. And then what did he do? What was his job in World War II? He was the in the signal corps. He made, they made. He was in charge of our propaganda. Yeah. He was in charge of propaganda. Yeah. So he goes, if she's that good of a filmmaker, they're going to beat us. Crap. Yeah. I better join the army and try to go up against her. Yeah. And you have these two. With better stories. Insane filmmakers going back and forth. It's yeah. crazy. It is crazy. For the minds of the human beings involved. Well. You want to tell a story, a good story? You need to tell a story that's so good, 
a mom will send her three sons off to die. Right. Well, it's the it's uh, the griot thing, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Right. So the griots, the West African storytellers, the thing about the griots was that if if two groups were having a war, they had their griots. They each had their griots. If a griot from another tribe came into your group or wandered around or into your territory or whatever, you were supposed to leave those people alone. Mm-hmm. Don't mess with the griot. Why? Because if you mess with the griot and the griot gets away and goes back to their side, yep. they will tell a story that will make them vicious and undefeatable. Yep. That's understanding. I mean, that's yeah. That's the same thing. Getting it. This is pre-media. Right. Yeah. It's the power of story. People used to get that. Yeah. They're right. like, oh, don't let the griots get away and tell a story that makes. If they people. tell a story, it's over. It's over. The story will ca- will bring everyone together, and it'll be our destruction. Yeah. And the Nazis also understood storytelling and they understood the power of design. If you've never seen the Nazi brand book, it's the most dialed brand book I've ever seen. And that's one of the things we do is branding. I look at that stuff a lot, but I'll tell you what: you want to see a dialed brand? Oh, they so had. Their... You want to talk about understanding the power of stories, the power of aligning a story with the proper visuals? Yeah. Right? It's unbelievable. Yeah, they 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 did an exceptionally good job of and that's why praising the good job and saying it's good work because it's a good job is a problem. Correct. Right? Oh, that's good work. What is the end state? Yeah. What did that work lead to? Right. The what pr- was it there for? What right. was the purpose of it? The problem is it's well done. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. the problem. Yeah. Right? Because it's galvanized. It will it will pull people in. Yeah. The problem is the magnet was built that well, so it's strong enough to pull people in. Yeah. That's no. really interesting. Yeah. So uh, to you say- don't understand, it's well done. That's great. It's like, that's the problem. Yeah. If it was garbage, nobody would have seen it. Right. Yeah. The problem is it will attract people. That's the problem. You know, people... Yeah, it's for, like a bug zapper. People You're like, forget. oh, the light's bright. It's like, yeah, but that's what pulls in. <laughs> right. People forget that Hugo Boss designed the yeah, SS 100%. uniforms. Mm-hmm. Hugo Boss, the dude who yeah. was a full-on Nazi. Yeah. Like, I won't buy Hugo Boss stuff. Yeah. We don't have sponsors, so that's cool. <laughs> I don't buy their stuff. Um, like, I, I can't. The dude was a full-on Nazi. Right. Like, like I, I have a hard time. Maybe I buy stuff. But you that, know that story. Yeah. How yeah. many people knew that story before you said that? Yeah. And now right now people are going, I didn't know that. I don't like that. It's like, uh-huh. They're looking it up right now. They're looking it up right now. <laughs> and then all of a sudden that story is making them change how they feel and think about something. And we go, that's what we're talking about. Exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like you're watching it happen right now in your brain. And that's why this stuff is so important. Yeah. Yeah. But Hugo Boss was a good designer. Those SU uniforms. Oh, man. Talk about a classic. Yeah. They're they're really well designed. Again, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. So so I, I don't know if we veered off from what we talking meant to about talk bravery, about. bravery, man. I, th- I yeah, think we're I guess, still talking about I it. I think we're still talking about bravery. Uh, and because it's like literally the Capra thing is like one of my favorite stories I've ever heard mm-hmm. in my life. Like I, I when the first time I think you told me that somebody told me a story. I remember just like I thought about it so much mm-hmm. because it was like, OK, you've got these two insane filmmakers going at it. And they both have their ideology. Right. Right. And one of them is going to have to win. Right. Right. Because it was like, I mean, think about that. I have to tell a story that's so good. 
that I have to convince these fathers and mothers to send their children probably to die right in Europe because if that doesn't happen it's over right all right Frank go for it yeah and then when he gets out of the war what's the first thing well liberty right, right. But what does he make he makes it's a wonderful, wonderful life and what's the armature of it's a wonderful life right I yeah. mean I know you talk about for me I always was like a life of sacrifice is a wonderful life is the kind of how I would, yeah I would say that I That's look true. at that and you go like okay what was the defining thing of the greatest generation sacrifice yeah who was in charge of all the messaging for that generation frank capra yeah do you think it's a coincidence yeah that he yeah they thought that way no it's not once you understand that it's that powerful you can define a generation oh yeah oh yeah and that generation was a good generation Mm -hmm. right yes yes (laughs) right yes i'm just saying yeah there's good and bad, but you yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's yeah. like beat the Nazis, yeah, built America, I'll give them that. New Deal, all that kind of I, I, fun stuff. I, all that. Right? Yes. A lot of bad stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, yeah. as far as from a sacrifice oh, yeah. standpoint, yeah. blood on the ground standpoint. As a matter of fact, that generation who's dying off, yeah. they actually um, um, uh, donate more blood. Really? Yeah. Still. They yeah, because that's what that's what they did during the war for soldiers and stuff, and oh, they think crazy. it's important. They just got to donate blood. Um, and so yeah, it's actually a problem getting younger people to do it. But that generation was they do it. They used to do it all the time. Like, oh, that's what you did. You got to donate wow, blood. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Stories are powerful. They are powerful. But during the war, people. But had, also, like, if you didn't tell that story, well, there wouldn't be blood to, right? Yeah. That was a necessary story. Yeah, it was. Well, and people had relatives there and, you know, yeah. well, my son's there, my brother's there, my cousin's yeah. there, but, you know, whatever. So, yeah. like, you knew you were helping people. Yeah. Um, the lame part was that the blood in World War II was segregated. Really? Yeah. Yeah. They want to get that. black blood. Yeah, it was segregated. Yeah. Because there wow. was a story. Right. There was a story. There was a story. Yep. Right, uh, that made them go. Well, I don't want that blood, and I also think it was about making sure there was more blood for the white soldiers. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. You know what I mean. So it's like, well, you know. But who's also on the front lines? Yeah. Well, yeah. There you go. And there's no blood. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. That you would segregate the blood. Yeah. It sounds right. It but sounds it's... exactly like what would I? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 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 Which is interesting because here's the thing. Speaking of that. So here we here it is. We talked a lot about liberty. Mm-hmm. We're fighting that war. We're fighting yeah. for democracy. We're saving the world. We're fighting for freedom. We like to throw the word freedom around, right? Yeah. So the African-American soldiers come back to a Jim Crow America where they can't sit here and they can't sit there and they can't yep. do this and they can't do that that they have a story that we've been telling. Yeah. It's all about freedom. It's all about liberty. Yeah. It's all about, right? So they have this story and armed with that story, they start the modern sort of civil rights movement, right? Mm-hmm. That's why it starts to happen in the 50s. Oh, That's fun. right after the war. I didn't war. know that. Yeah, I didn't of course. know that that ideology is what led to that. Yeah, sure. So that story, it's like, well, wait a minute. Didn't we just fight people over this? Right? That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. 
It's like, I just risked my life to help kill yeah. Hitler, and now I can't sit where yeah. I want to on the bus, or I can't yep. live here, and I can't do this. Yep. Yeah. Wow, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And Same the, story. Yeah. And the other thing is, the reason they think now, looking back, that the um, civil rights movement took off the way it did, and because think about it. People have been... Since slavery, people were saying, hey, we don't like this. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And there were always people rebelling and there were always protests and there were all these things all the way through, all the way through American history. Yeah. So why in the 60s did Lyndon Johnson start like the civil rights, pass the civil rights bill, sign that, sign the Voting Rights Act? Why did that happen then? It happened then because we had a story we were trying to tell the world because it was during the Cold War hmm. and we were saying we were better than the Soviets. Wow. Right. And we were saying it to the world. Yep. But then the Soviets would come back and they go, yeah, but what about the way you treat your... the way you treat people? Yeah. Oh, my God. Right. And so it's like, oh, so it was a cold Our story's war. falling apart. Yeah. We have to. It's like with branding. We have to treat people it's, it's like a, halfway human beings because we need the story to be working. Right. Well, it's like branding. Yeah. Right. We made the Gillette mistake. Yeah, totally. Right. That was the problem. It's like, yeah. oh, we're against toxic masculinity. Two seconds later, you have a pink tax. You charge women more for your products. Oh, I didn't think you'd see that. Um, <laughs> I guess we are the embodiment of what we just proclaimed is not good. Right. Right. And that's what happened. And then the brand falls apart. And ladies that's and gentlemen, that's why you have to get it straight inside the organization. Actually live it out for real. Yeah. Tell the truth. Make sure it's true before you externalize it. Right. But that's more on the marketing side of things. But mm -hmm. you're talking about marketing our brand, the United yeah. States, mm -hmm. right? We're yep. better than that group. Yes. Why are you better? Well, we're about freedom. Are you? Let's look. That's crazy. It was the pressure to keep the story consistent. Yeah. It had nothing to do with human beings. You no, know, it's not like time just as time moves on, we just get better just because that's who we are. That's not that's chronological snobbery. That's not yeah. true. Right. Right. There was a yeah. long time when things didn't change, right? So hmm. it, it wasn't destined to happen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it happened at a particular time um, when we had television, uh, yeah. right? The whole world could yep. see, hey, wait, you're sicking dogs on kids? Yeah. Right? The whole world could see that. Yeah. So the whole time you're saying the Soviet Union is terrible yeah. on the news, they're sicking dogs on kids in the United States. Yeah. The, they use that. The Soviets used that. Sure, of course. Why wouldn't they? Yeah. It's also why they uh, were afraid that Martin Luther King Jr. was a communist and all these people were communists. Hmm. A communist put them up to this. They were always calling people communists who were in the civil rights movement. Why? Because a communist at least said they were fair. <laughs> and so they, uh -huh. right? And yeah. so people went, well, if they're fair, I'm all for that. So you could get some people to sign up for that. Mm-hmm. Totally, it totally makes sense. Yeah. So it's like, oh, it's the communists that are put Martin Luther King up. Yeah. It's like, no, not really, but they can use it. Uh huh. The communists can use it. A hundred percent. They used to like, drop leaflets in, uh, in, uh, in uh, the Korean War um, saying, you know, to the black soldiers, why are you fighting this war when you can't do this in your country and you can't do that and you can't do this? Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Why are you fighting for these people? They don't care about you. Like, Good question. Yeah, exactly. So, right. yeah. So it was a problem. They they weaponized our own policies against us. And so we had to change. And you had to respond as a result. Yeah. It was PR. Yeah. 
That's crazy. It was just PR. Yeah. Speaking of the power of stories, almost nobody knows where the term PR came from. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. There's that movie. It's called A Century of Self. It's totally worth watching. You can find it on YouTube. And it talks about how it was um, Freud's nephew, um, when he came here after World War II, he took all of his uncle's stuff uh, about how the brain works in psychology and was like, I can use that to sell stuff. Um, and he couldn't use the term um, propaganda anymore because it became a bad term mm-hmm. in the war. And so he invented a new term and it was called public relations. Yeah. And what did he do with that? <laughs> he got women to start smoking. He, all sorts of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I know. But I mean, how, did he get, how did he get women to start smoking? Because women didn't story. smoke before. Nope. They didn't smoke. That nope. was not he, something. He was like, oh, uh, he tied it to the suffrage movement. And there was a, uh, a women's march. And he had photographers set up at a certain time and place. And he signaled a group of women. And they stopped what they were doing because women were supposed to smoke. And they pulled out cigarettes and they all lit up cigarettes. And it was like a phallic symbol right. of like power. Yeah. And he called them torches of freedom. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because like when you watch... Um, when you watch this stuff and you read about this stuff, there's an interview with him where he's smiling about it. And you just think about all those dead women mm-hmm. because he, he told a story. Yep. Torches of freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, doesn't that sound good? It sounds great. Great. Great's a good word. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Torches of freedom. I just, it's like, it's, it's again, the same thing. Like if he marketed that and he didn't know what he was doing, that's one thing. And then, but when they're interview, there's an interview with him and he's like elderly mm-hmm. and we knew right. what that meant. Right. And he was sitting there and he said, there was a line he said that like, people are cattle. I can turn them any direction I'd like. And I'm wow. just sitting there watching this guy and I'm like, he understands the power of story more than any other storyteller I've ever met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, how many women do you think died because of that day? Yeah. It's got to be staggering. It does have to And be if somebody was to say, uh, but Jesse, it's just a story. You don't, you know, it's like, hey, it was just a story. It was just an ad. Or it was like. Uh, that's never true. And and the funny thing is right now people are hearing that and they go, oh, that's really messed up that that guy did that. And that brings me back to the Joker. <laughs> because you don't understand it's the same shit. Right. And that's what drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Is I can tell, I got a, you want to talk about marketing. I got a million of those stories. Yeah. Right. When they knowingly sold something like asbestos or something. Right. And they wrapped a story around, you know, we're importing asbestos again from Russia. That's happening right now. That's right. That is. Yeah. That's crazy. It is crazy. And somebody out there is figuring out how do I market that shit? Mm-hmm. I promise there's, oh, there, yeah. there's an, at least an RFP out there. Yeah. Right. Floating around. And right now people are going, how could I market asbestos? Yeah. And then I go like, here's what, here's what will stop people from doing it. Do you know what killed Steve McQueen? Asbestos. Yeah. He worked down in the, he was in the Navy. Mm-hmm. And so, right. and so right now somebody goes, think about this. They go, now I really don't like asbestos because I just, Jesse just tied it to a story about Steve McQueen, who I thought was cool. Right. And you go like, maybe we should just be against asbestos because it killed other people other than, you know, Steve McQueen. But, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to say like, yeah. during the course of this whole interview, what we're doing is we keep proving it. Mm-hmm. If I can just call it a torch of freedom or whatever. Right? right? Oh, it's cool country, or whatever. It's cool country. Right. Right? Right. So it's the same thing, right? Marvel so Man. If, the, if, the, if, the, if the Joker, and I haven't seen the movie, but if uh-huh. the Joker is the person who 
the outcasts. He's the ex in the a circle. Deal, yeah. uh, um, uh, identify with. Yes. Then that's the same thing. That's a torch of liberty. 100%. That's a torch of liberty. That's it. Or freedom. Is it liberty or freedom? Torch of freedom. Freedom. Torch of freedom. Right? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. Um, It's a strange thing to feel like you don't have any responsibility as a storyteller. I think it's a strange thing. It means you don't understand stories. That's what what it means. What's crazy to me is that people who make that stuff are called brave. I know. It was a brave choice. There was nothing brave about that. No. You you know, the, uh, the thing is, too... And I've always thought this. You can always do it. I don't. I'm always amazed at how people are amazed. So you can always do a cartoony version and a serious version of anything, right? Mm-hmm. So um, when they made that first, when Tim Burton's Batman movie came out, I remember yeah. in '89. Yeah. Everybody was amazed because it wasn't like the TV show. Yeah. Because the, no pows and zips and yeah, things. they thought, isn't that what Batman's supposed to be? Wow, that's amazing, yeah. right? And so every time th- th- those characters get more sort of realistic, uh-huh. right, which has happened over time, yep. right? It's become more realistic. And every time people are blown away by how yep. real it is, right? Every yeah. single time. But sometimes that's all those things have is the feeling that they're really happening. Yeah. But if you look at the, con- the, the, the content, it's often very shallow content or it's dangerous content. Yeah. They don't know what they're doing. They're yeah. juggling grenades and they think it's a joke. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or yeah. they or the equivalent of like, here's the truth. I don't give a shit because I sold a bunch of cigarettes. Right. And you go like, really? Yeah. Again, like it's if people don't know what they're doing, that's that's one thing. But man, it's really hard for me to think about somewhat people. Filmmakers, marketers, people at the top of their game that are completely unaware. Mm-hmm. I just, it's hard for me to like, like think about it. You know, the fact that when Frank Capra saw, again, Frank was at the top of his game. The fact that when he saw Triumph of the Will, he immediately knew what it was. Right. So it's really hard for me if there's a marketer, a politician, right? Any story. Yeah. Right. And then go like, I knew I was out there, but I didn't really realize the impact. It's just really hard to go like, really? Yeah. Never crossed your mind that. That, like, people are going to consume this? <laughs> right. And when they say they have no responsibility, I'm just like, okay, cool. Again, there's a difference between being... Ignorance is one thing. Right. That's another thing. And, you know, we all make mistakes. It's just really hard when somebody is, like, at the top of their game. hmm Right? You know that people still are... You know there's agencies out there, and their whole thing is they still market cigarettes, right? They still exist. Right. Yeah. And every day... Yeah. They're just cranking that out. It's amazing to me. It is amazing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm not sure how you do that. I just, well, we already talked about it. We already talked about God. It's the bull. Right. It's money. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so it's like, we'll poison an entire generation. Mm Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. Right. And, but here's the thing. I also want to be cynical. It's like, that's why this, that's why we do this show is because you go, but here's the cool thing. You can do something about it. That's true. Somebody needs to write the next E.T. Somebody needs to make something, right? Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Well, it's it's like this, uh, uh, you know, I, I hate talking about modern stuff because I hate 
I don't. That's why I don't read the comments when I, you know. But it's it's why I don't like the Star Trek show, the Discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, um, if you would have told me when I was a kid, there's going to be a Star Trek show and you won't watch it, I'd be like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> Get out of here, old yeah. man. You don't yeah. know what you're talking uh-huh. about. Right. What I was hoping when Discovery came on was that I would get some hope because everything on TV is bleak. Yeah. Almost everything is bleak. Yeah. Like there's a few things that maybe aren't bleak, but mostly it's a bleak. It's like, I, you know what? Can you, can I have some hope? Can I have some light? Can, yeah. if there's another, it, you know, dark's not more real than light. Oof, that's good. Right? That's it's just true. But there are cert- there's a certain group of people that think dark is more real, mm. right? But that's just a belief system. It's not true. Yeah. And so, um, and there's plenty of stories that show that that's not true. Yeah, about good yeah. About good things happening. Human spirit. And, yeah. yeah. Right. And so, Star Trek had always been uh, a hopeful yeah thing, and and to go, we're gonna mix it up and make it dark. It's like, well, you can't. Look, if you want to make that show, fine, but don't call it Star Trek. Star Trek is a brand. Yeah. It has been a brand for a long time. Yep. Don't give me the new Coke version of it yeah, because right. you think we got to mix it up and change it. If I, I, I think about these writers who did that show, and I'm like, if you don't want to write Star Trek, then don't write Star Trek. <laughs> There's plenty of writers who do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So let them do it. Uh-huh. You do something else. Yeah, right. It's exactly. like, let's just change this. It's like- you know, and so I felt ripped off because it was a CBS thing. You had to yeah. pay. You had to pay uh-huh. for it. Yeah. Like I just felt like I got mugged. Yeah, like you just took money from me. Uh-huh. That's you how told I me. felt at the Joker. I was like, I had to buy it. Yeah, and everybody's like, Oh, you got to see this, my God, Jesse. And I was like, oh, Okay, and I was sitting there going like. I wish I could just burn it. Like, just be like, I'm done with, I don't want it on my (laughs) account. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I want nothing to do with this thing. Yeah. And yeah, you got mugged. Yeah. Like, it's like, what the fuck? Like, what are we doing? Yeah. But when you go back to Star Trek, what was the thing? Because I haven't seen it. Was it, when you, if you were to describe what Star Trek used to be about. Somebody actually on YouTube cut like a Star Trek Next Generation Next to Discovery. Um, two similar kinds of scenes and situations yeah. and how different. Really? Yeah. It was fascinating. What was the difference? The difference is that um, Star Trek at its core initially seemed to be more about the light and seemed to be more about hope and more about looking for what's good about people. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, people were as as... I mean, they would... Star Trek's always like they took little jabs at each other or whatever, but it was always in good fun and it was always, it was never cynical. It was never harsh. It was never um, really putting somebody down. It was just jokes about Spock and his pointy ears and ha ha, you know, or whatever. But it wasn't really putting people down. And this new show is dark in every way. Um, Even, even the, interiors are dark even everything's dark um the costumes are darker everything's dark um all the stories are dark like i only watched the first season because i paid for it yeah uh but uh i don't know what it's like they were like we're gonna get better but that they changed something at its core it didn't matter that they were gonna get better it's like 
No, you you ju- you change something fundamentally at its core, and it's like well, if you try to pull an armature, rip a skeleton out of something, and throw another skeleton inside of it, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. So it's like okay, so yeah, I can't. All I can tell you is there's a there's it it the Star Trek they did matches the landscape of the rest of television. It didn't give me that beacon of hope that I thought it would. I was so happy. That it used to do. That it used to do. It used to, you know, for instance. Let's make cheers, but now everybody hates each other. Right. And you're like, but then it's not cheers. I mean, (laughs) before it was a community of people. So Star Trek, what would you say it used to represent? So the woman who plays Ahura, whose name I'm blanking on at this moment, um. Anyway, she was going to quit Star Trek. She was going to quit. And um, she because she had nothing to do on the show. She's like, I just say hailing frequencies open, Captain, and whatever. She's like, ah, you know, I'm going to yeah. leave the show. And then she met Martin Luther King, like somewhere at a party no or something. Way, really? She met him. And he said, uh, he said, oh, you can't quit the show. He said, you're the only person on TV who represents black people in the future that says that we have a future and that we're part of it. You have to stay on the show. And she stayed on the show. Now, another part of that story. Yeah, she stayed on the show. So I think what that show was saying Right. It was a, it was especially for the time, a very multicultural like, no, we can have there'll be people of color in this on the yeah. bridge, a part of the bridge crew. You yeah. know, we got We got an Asian guy. We got like, yeah. no, everybody can. It's an international, the multiracial yep. thing. Right. Well, that was important to the show. It's funny because some people were complaining about the multiracial nature of the shows now. It's like, no, that was always part of it. Of the Star Trek show? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The the people who, you know, don't get me started. Yeah. But but that was always part of it. Yeah. Right. But here's something interesting. So, uh, uh, Nichelle Nichols, right? The Ahura. So, she she does Star Trek. Whoopi Goldberg's a little girl and sees a black person on TV, which was rare. Yeah. And says, oh, I want to do that. She does that. Later, she's on Star Trek. Mm. Right, right, right. But That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Dr. King was the one that like helped her see what how important it was. To have a story. To have the story. Yep. That says that we have a future. Man. Like, that's pretty serious. Right? So I think that... Um, Again, going back to being brave at a distance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, um, but that's being, that's being. Because that required something from her to go back to that job. It did. She didn't, you know, but she then saw it as an important job. And she did it. Yeah. And she wouldn't know what would be go Like, you know, you have no idea yeah. of the impact of. Yeah, you don't know. But think about that. And that's just one thing, right? There are yeah. people who became scientists because of Star Trek. There are people who. Sure. Right. And probably. Um, like there's a, uh, uh, a guy who's an astronaut, but he became an astronaut. Uh, I, I think he's dead, but he's a black guy who was an astronaut who saw Star Trek as a kid and probably having a, a black character on that show helped him believe that that was a possibility at a time when that didn't look like a possibility. Yeah. 
So uh, I think Star Trek represented hope in all its forms. And, um, um, you know, like when the show in the pilot, uh, the original pilot, the second in command was a woman and the network pushed back on that. No, nobody's going to believe that. Right. But that was in the pilot wow. that, oh, we have to have a, we're going to have a woman as. So it was all about yeah. the, sort of the positive, the best version of ourselves. Yeah. Um, and I would say that the, the new Star Trek is not that and they have the new show Picard. But I, I'm not I, I am not going to watch it because I have to pay for it. Yeah. And I fool me once. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure. Done. Yeah. I'm done. I'm out. Right. You that's lost it, me. Though. I'm done now. But that's why those things matter. You're like, fool me once. It's yeah. Like, it's really hard to get people back. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, they're getting a lot of people because people like that character so much. And, yeah. you know, but like, no, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. Same thing I did with Star Wars. Oh, I'm out now. A hundred percent. I'm hundred percent on the same page with that. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Oh, it's crap now. Go on. Yeah. Goodbye. We right. have enough of my money. Yeah. yeah you know? Totally. <laughs> yeah. And you could have kept. Oh, yeah. I would have kept I would have given him money forever. Yeah. 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 I'm like, no, oh, okay. Goodbye, Star Wars. Yeah. You're dead to me. Doesn't that suck? It does suck. It sucks. I miss, I miss Star Wars. I miss it, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, Luke's in it like a grumpy asshole, and he can transport across the universe. And you're like, well, okay. Well, I, okay. <laughs> and Leia can fly. And you're like, stop it. Just And now everything's a joke. Yeah. And you're like okay i'm yeah. just gonna try to you know because it sucks because it also ruins your memories of you know it's like it's yeah like, oh man like the what could have been i know it's uh you know i mean i think that the people who are fans of it now are fans of a different thing but to think about this like star wars and like how many scenes it's like when they're getting the medals and stuff yeah for sure that would have gotten cut now yeah well there's a lot of things there's you know there's I, I, maybe I've said this before, but it's one of those things when I saw, cause I, you know, I saw what people call a new hope now, what we called star Wars. Cause it was uh-huh. the only one there was Yeah. when I was a kid, when I saw star Wars, I was 12 years old. Um, I can't explain what that was. People who weren't there can never understand what it was. I'm sure it was something like seeing the Beatles on its elephant, uh-huh. right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you, you, you just crazy if you don't if you weren't there <laughs> you don't you cannot get it yeah it, it was everything was everything was, the, like you know we have a uh, a robot that vacuums our floor uh-huh it, it that the robots in star wars some of them kind of look like that yeah. there's one little droid yeah. uh-huh. like but that didn't exist there was no such thing as that so if you grow yeah. up and you have a vacuum robot yeah and you see a robot in Star Wars, you're like, yeah, okay, I got a robot. It's yeah. like, no. I know exactly the robot you're talking yeah, about, too. Yeah, It's like, it's no. The coolest stuff ever. Yeah, yeah, but now you grow up in a world where that, yeah, some of that uh-huh. stuff is real, and right. you know what I mean? So it's a v- very different thing. Um, but um, there's a scene in the original Star Wars where Luke is wanting to go, and he can't go, right? And like, his aunt, uncle's like, no, I need you another season. Yeah. Oh. And he goes out, and it's the dual sons. Yeah. And he's just thinking about what he can't do and what he's not going to, you know, and uh, how much he wants to be out there doing things. And I'm like, oh, Star Wars is never quiet anymore. That's so good. It's never quiet. No, that's so good. And the funny thing is why you're expl- – I know exactly what you're talking about. I bet the majority of people listening can see exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. 
it's never quiet anymore. It's like, we're afraid we're going to lose your attention. Look at this shiny thing. Look at this one. Look at that one. Uh-huh. Look at that one. Yeah. You know, instead of like, why don't you take slow down? It's, um, you know what it is? It's insecurity. Right? It's a guy talking to a woman at a bar and he won't shut up. Mm. That guy is insecure. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And it, that's what Star Wars feels like to me. We're afraid we'll lose you. Yeah. We're going to, we're afraid. Dude, uh, the kids, my kids, so my kids don't, because movies aren't good anymore, they don't really care about them and they just watch YouTube. Yeah. Um, but the funny thing is, like I've told you before, like I'll play like, like E.T. or whatever and they're just like in it, but I'll play like, whatever. I mean, pick a movie, the new yeah. Grinch or something. They're like, yawn fast and, you know, whatever. <laughs> Um, but the funny thing is I, they watch these like YouTube shows. And the, one of the things that these YouTubers will do is they scream, they'll peek out their mic, like yell, like uh-huh. they'll be doing Roblox or whatever. And like, they'll yell. And it's like every 30 seconds, they'll peek out their mic. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And then you watch it. It was like every chance the, the host thinks they're going to lose someone. Yeah. He screams. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden a kid like looks over like, well, what? And he's doing that, but he's doing it like every 30 seconds right? because he's so worried. Mm-hmm. And so he's like playing Roblox and he'd be like, oh, that's so exciting. Two seconds later, whoa, and he's doing that all the time. And I just kept on going like, your, garbage, your content is so garbage. You have to peek out your mic every 60 seconds right. to force them to pay attention. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. If he was a really amazing gamer and he was like telling a great story and keep it, you don't need those tactics, right? You just don't even need them. You right. don't need those tools. You don't need fireworks. It's I, not even fireworks. It's just awful. I, I I heard somebody talking about Mr. Rogers. Who was it? I think it was somebody who worked with him, a producer or something. And he goes, well, you know, Mr. Rogers did everything wrong from the way that people thought about children's television. Everything was always fast and trying oh, to yeah. keep their attention. He was deliberately slow. Mm-hmm. And it held attention. Yeah. Right? Um, he was slow, but he was being honest. He knew what he was saying. He knew what he was talking about. So, so it wasn't like random. It, like, and he was sincere. He was sincere, yeah. right? Um, and he could be slow, mm-hmm. but that slow slowness is confidence. That's that's what being slow is. Slowness is confidence. That's good, right? So, uh, so when Luke goes out and he's just dreaming about what could be and oh, the yeah, life dude. he wants, I know the music and everything. He, everybody yeah. does. Yeah. Everybody knows it. Yeah. Right? It's like, well, you you'll never see that again. You'll never see that in a Star Wars movie again. Hmm. And it's like, oh, okay. You're just tr- you're you're so busy trying to entertain me, you're not telling me a story. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, what if we just entertain them? It's like, well, I'm not entertained. Why don't you tell me a story? Mm-hmm. Trust that stories are enough. Yeah, but people don't trust that stories are enough. So it's like, well, we need to do this. Yeah, you know, in one shot or whatever. People do the same thing with their lives. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, my life isn't significant enough, so I'm going to try to be this person or that person. People do it with brands. Yeah, and you're like, you know, if you were just yourself, everything would be fine. I, you know, I saw a documentary once about James Dean and how much he liked Marlon Brando, <laughs> and he idolized Marlon Brando and he so Marlon Brando was famous before James Dean and not much more you know but but he was and so James Dean I guess would 
he knew people who knew Marlon Brando. So he'd be like, so you're at a party, Marlon Brando? What did he do? How did he stand? How did he? It's like, and he was so into like what Marlon was doing. Yeah. And it was like, you know, you're James Dean. You're James Dean. Yeah, 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 yeah. You you know, you James Dean. Just be James Dean. Yeah. Yeah. And actually. But that's one of the things that killed Star Wars mm -hmm. is because they they had to have been watching the Marvel and how, how... Oh. financially sick and it was like there was that there was that one star wars that opens up where there's all the jokes and they're like hey i'm still on hold here or whatever yeah, it doesn't okay. matter yeah but as soon as that happened it was like a, it was like a minute into that movie i was like okay i'm done right because they didn't understand it was it was a space opera and now all of a sudden you're trying to make it like a marvel movie right where there's all this tongue-in-cheek jokes and all this goofy stuff and it was like you can't stop trying to be somebody else yeah just be star wars yeah Right? Just be Star Trek. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You have a thing. You have a thing. And it's a good thing. Right. Yeah. Just be Columbo. Yeah. Just be whatever. Yeah. It's like, it's not broken. Don't try to fix it. It's not right. broken. It's working just fine. Yep. I don't understand that. It's like, it's working just fine. Leave it alone. Don't walk away. Just do. Yep. Yeah. I don't get it. Brands do the same thing. Yeah. They feel like they got to change their slogan every six months and all this stuff. It's like, no, just be the best in the world. Just do, just do it for 60 years. Yeah. Right? Why does you don't understand? Just just find new and interesting ways to to bring that to life over and over and over again. Yeah, you don't have to, you know, turn Luke into a jerk, and you don't have like you don't have <laughs> right, you know right. What I mean? It's like you don't got to do this stuff. Right. Yeah. Um. But that's brave. Right. It's it's it takes bravery to go. This is working. Mm -hmm. Because it's surrendering. I'm going to surrender to what this thing already is instead right. of trying to put my stink on it. Yep. Right? It is a thing already. Yes. All I have to do is do that thing. Yep. I, I, you know, I, I've always, you know, it's mm. funny, um, like when I was writing more comics, I never got to write a lot of them, but when I was writing more comics, I actually, I, I knew people who just wanted to do their own books like they were very interested like i just want to do my own characters i don't know why anybody would want to do anybody else's characters and what they didn't like was the restrictions of other people's characters but i i really liked those restrictions i really liked working within those it's like well how good can i make this within the constraints yeah right how it's like i don't it's not it's one of the reasons i i really liked um uh character animators uh, especially when it was hand-drawn, because now the models are there. But when it's hand-drawn, what's interesting to me was there are all these people who worked on Pinocchio or Bambi and all of that, and they would get scenes. So Frank Thomas would have a scene or Milk Call would have a scene or whatever. And their style was not in the drawing because the drawings, you had to be on model. They had to sort of match. So they had to take that part of their ego out of it. Like, yeah. look how cool my drawing is. Yep. They, I mean, they tried to be good drafts people. That was, yeah. but, but, um, but really it like, how well can I realize, how, how can I get people to believe in this character and invest in this character? Yep. Right. It's not about me. It's not about me. And you know, here's a great example of, right. There was that little scene that Tim Burton drew in Fox and the Hound mm -hmm. where the fox looks crazy and yeah. like, they pulled him off the job. Yeah. And it's still in there. You can watch it and you go like, that's making it about you, man. He kept doing that. He couldn't help it. Yeah. He kept doing He did more things like that. It's like, dude, fangs and- Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. He couldn't do anything else. Yeah. And he was not- Yeah. He, he couldn't take himself out. Mm-hmm. 
And so th- there's something about surrendering to like, this is Pinocchio, this is Pinocchio, it looks like this is Pinocchio, yeah. it moves like and acts like. Right. And all I can do is is try to make the best Pinocchio yeah. I can. Um, and it's and and still there are people who I think I mean I think Pinocchio is really well animated like I think it's the best thing that they did in terms of how well it's an- Pinocchio and Bambi I, I, I those two things they blow my mind every yeah. time in terms of how well they're animated and realized yeah. but um and there are animators who whose work I like better than other animators yeah but. It's nobody's trying to be seen. Hmm. Nobody's trying to be seen. Yeah. They are trying to disappear. They are trying to make you to make you believe that that drawing is alive and it's breathing. Yep. Right. And so, um, but they're working within certain restrictions, and I think those restrictions can make people better, and people are afraid of them, and so it's it it's it's. There's a kind of bravery in surrendering to the thing in front of you. Like if you're writing, like when I was writing Predator, it's like, yeah. this is the way the Predator is. I can't make up who the Predator is. Yeah. I can't say, this is what the Predator does. I'm going to just tell a story within those right. parameters. It's still, here's the funny thing though. It's still a Predator comic for sure, but it's also, it's a different thing. Right. Right. It's like... It's still a great story, and it the way you set it up and everything, and, and the bio and stuff, you still made it new and interesting, mm-hmm. but it still adheres to everything else. Right. Right? Yeah, and you can do that, but it takes a kind of, I, and I don't want to say I'm particularly brave at that, but I, I try to be, but that kind of surrender, right? That's why people are afraid of armatures, because it's surrender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mean I have to stand out, I have to say that I stand for a thing? <laughs> it's the same thing brands do. Yeah. You're telling me I have to say I have to stand for something? It has to be more than just lip service? Yeah. A hundred percent. Oh, well, that's that's going to require something from me. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I want to kind of live in a world where everything's wishy-washy, so I don't. I can always just kind of go with the flow and never really stand for anything. Yeah. And you're like, that sounds scary. It's like, yeah, it's scary. That, But that's how it works. But if you want to do something that actually impacts people, right, it's going to be scary. Here's the thing. There's a saying that says uh, uh, about writing that says no no tears in the writer no tears in the reader. Wow, no tears in the writer no, no t- tears in the reader. Yeah, that's about bravery, right? That's about going to that place that you don't want to go. And and when I'm writing, and there's also a thing about bleeding on the page that that's yeah. what writing is, right? Yeah. And I always, especially like the piece I'm writing now, but I try to do it with everything. I'm like, oh, I'm leaving a piece of my soul on this page. And I honestly, that I, I don't even know if that's a metaphor. Hmm. Um, if I'm doing it well, there's a piece of me, it hurts a little bit. Sometimes it hurts a lot, but it has to hurt me a little bit when I want people to feel that hurt or I want people to feel that sadness or that embarrassment or whatever. I have to go there and feel it. It's like being an actor. It's not, you can't, a good actor is not pretending. Yeah. Right? They're not pretending. They are tapping into the real thing. They're mm-hmm. tapping into it. Yeah. And when I'm writing, I have to be in the state that I need the, the reader to get out of the piece. I have to get into that state. Um, it's, not, it's not always easy. It takes a lot. It's a lot of um, work, sometimes prep work. 
in terms of getting myself in that space, whatever I have to do to get in that space, if I'm writing a particularly hard scene or whatever. But this new, this piece I'm writing now, it's, it's it really, I feel like there's a piece of me on this page. There's a piece of me there and it, it was a chunk of me and it's, it hurt to cut that chunk of me out and put it on the page. But in order to do the good I'm trying to do with that book, um, this book, that this book is really a book of, of, for me about service and about serving people with the story, because I'm talking about the forgiveness, me forgiving the murderer of my brother. This is not light. And I don't treat it lightly and I'm doing it to talk about, to understand what it is to empathize with someone who you would rather not empathize with. That requires a lot from me. Um, it actually requires more writing about it than it seemed to require when I was doing it. Hmm. Um, Why do you think that is? Um, because I'm trying to put everything in context. So, so, you know, when I, when I did that, when I was like, people, people were just amazed that I could do it. And, and so I was like, well, there's reasons that I could do it. And so the book is really laying out that case. This is how I learned that this is the way I had to be here. And so a lot of those lessons along the way are not um, pleasant. So when I was in the moment, I didn't have to go over that stuff. They had already become part of me, and I just made the decision without much effort. When I have to go through it and relive those things, yeah, that took me to that place, that's what requires a lot of me. But if I don't do that, then I then I won't do what I'm trying to do. I won't be, get. I have to take people on that journey with me so they understand why I made that decision. And whether they make a decision like that, if they're ever in a situation like that, or another one that's similar, they don't have to make the same decision I did. But they might think about their decision differently. They might go, oh, this person has a story too. And I should at least honor that they have a story. Whatever your outcome, whatever your decision, that's personal. Um, and so that's why it's requiring so much of me because I have to go to that place and dig up all of that, turn up all of that pain and put it on the page so that people can see why I did this thing at the end. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a hard it's a hard piece it's a hard piece but I honestly when I think about the people I know who have been really good storytellers like Stuart Stern um, particularly Stuart Stuart was very good at going there was really good at going plumbing the depths of his pain um, he was very good at it and I had him as an example, not as a teacher in any formal way, but just as a friend and and as an example of of a, a high water mark for me. Can I can I can I do what Stewart did? Can I go where Stewart would be willing to go? 
Um, it's not something I didn't know I had to do, but it was interesting to be around a person where that was their whole thing was like, that's, that was his whole thing. That's what he believed storytelling was. That was his whole thing. Well, you got to do that. You have to do that. You have to go there. It doesn't, doesn't mean anything. It doesn't affect people. It doesn't impact people. You have to go to that place you don't want to go to, you know? What do you think his view of the purpose of stories was? Like, do you think he saw it as a service or do you think he saw it as an entertainment? No, I think it was definitely a service. It was definitely a service. Because I like, why would you go there if you didn't see it as a service? Like, why, why go there if it's purely entertainment? Well, here's, I know he saw it as a service. I don't know if we ever talked about it, but if you look at his work, we may have talked about it. He talked around it anyway. We talked around it. But if you look at his work, I, I may have mentioned it before. But so Rebel Without a, Rebel Without a Cause comes out in 1955. That same year, Blackboard Jungle comes out. Both movies are about juvenile delinquency, which people thought was a big problem in the 50s, right after the war. And they were like, what's going on with my kids? I don't get it. You know. Yeah. And um, so they were both, they're both about that concern that people had in the 50s. Blackboard Jungle is written from the perspective of parents and adults who are like, my kids are crazy. They're out of their minds. Blackboard Jungle was a big movie. It, I may have even won the Oscar that year. I'm not sure. 55. I can't remember what won in 55. Oh, Marty. Marty ran in 55. Hmm. Um, but anyway, um, but it was a big movie. Rebel was a huge movie about the same thing. But here's the thing. Stewart um, went to uh, talk to uh, kids in, in the juvenile system. So he went and talked. He hung out at the jail and talked to kids who were, who were in trouble and stuff and got inside their heads. And basically, and he was really good at this. He was, he was not an exploitive person. He didn't go, let's exploit juvenile delinquency because it's titillating in some way or interesting in some way. He goes, how are these, how are these kids damaged in such a way that they do these things? So rebel without a cause for that generation who were teenagers, like I talked to people who were with Stuart who saw the movie when they were teenagers. And it was like, you wrote that. Oh my God. That was our, like that helped that generation because it validated their their parents were um, their parents were the problem in Rebel. The kids were not the problem. The kids were reacting. So Stewart got inside the kids' perspective. That's why that movie took off with kids, because he validated their perspective and he went to that place. Stewart um, um, was a very, I think, hurt person. And he used that hurt to help other people. He he was um, he also he, sometimes it crippled him. I would say his pain, but he always used it to help people. Um, his pain. He was very good at using his pain to help others, and just in life. Um, I think I told you the story of he was. His cousin told me, um, his cousin, great guy, his cousin. And um, his cousin told me a story this after Stuart died and we were all hanging out at his house telling stories about Stuart. 
And Stuart officiated a lot of weddings. And uh, he, he, um, so he's going to officiate a wedding of a, of a cousin. And, um, uh, and so it was a, a German family that was marrying into Stuart's family. And Stuart's family is Jewish. And Stuart doesn't know this is happening. So what's happening is the, the father of the bride, who's German, is feeling guilty because he's like, this is such a wonderful family. He's telling this to one of the, the guy who told me the story. He's like, you know, I'm marrying into this amazing family and I feel awful that, um, that my people, that the German people did such harm to the Jewish people. He was just feeling, he was just racked with guilt. Stuart was in World War II. And so Stuart doesn't know any of this is happening. He meets the father of the bride for the first time. He hears the German accent and he says, I'm sorry I had to kill so many of your countrymen. And the guy just like let go. Somehow Stuart had this weird superpower of knowing exactly what was hurting in a person. Wow. And addressing it. It was a weird, almost supernatural, eerie power that he had. And he knew what was hurting people. And he could see it, and it made him empathize with people that you wouldn't think he could. Imp- I only heard him talk bad about a couple of people that he couldn't wow. empathize with. Yeah. Otherwise, he could empathize with people. Um, he was really good at it. And that's what he did in his stories. But that required something of him. It required... Uh, a kind, there was a kind of bravery he had. Um, I mean, he had, he had, he was a brave guy. He, he never would have said that about himself, but he was pretty brave. He was a pretty brave guy. Yeah, I think that shows up in his work. Shows up in his work. It showed up in his life, and it showed up in his death. I've never, when he got died, I was standing right in the room when he was diagnosed, told he was going to die. And he, I don't know what was happening inside, but it was the bravest thing I'd ever seen. Like it was not, it was like, okay, well, all right. Like it wasn't, and it wasn't resignation. Like, I guess that's it. It was just real. Okay. Um, but I, I must've told you this story. So we're in the room guy comes in. So Stuart had, had been told that he, there was a spot on his lawn. That's what he had been told. So we're in the room and, uh, his wife and you know, we're in there and uh, my wife and well, she wasn't my wife yet and but we're in there and the doctor comes in and he goes uh, well I don't know if you know what what's going on he goes well, well I was told there was a spot on my lung and the guy goes um, I think somebody was trying to be gentle it's really more of a mass Stuart goes okay and um the way the doctor didn't say much, you knew how serious it was. And he's like, well, your options are this, but you're 92, you know, that's going to do this to you. Your options are that, but it's only going to get you this much time and on and on. And Stuart, his first concern was for his wife. Well, the side effects and how is that going to affect my wife? What will she have to do? How much work will she? That was his first concern. Like, how is this going to be on my wife? 
Understand Stuart put so much work into his writing, so much of himself into his writing. He was so vulnerable when he was writing. And he goes, uh, so he's listening to all the things, whether well, there's radiation and this and that, blah, blah, blah. And he's hearing all the side effects. And then he says, well, no matter how bad it is, it won't be as bad as having to write about it. it was hilarious it was hilarious um so true it was yeah it's funny yeah Yeah. for him like oh yeah having cancer and dying of it is easier Easier. than writing yeah that's how brave he was in his writing man (laughs) well that's a hell of a way to end it yeah that's the big thing, right? Yeah. Don't be brave from a distance. Yeah, don't be brave from a distance. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for watching You Are a Storyteller. If you have any questions, or if there's a storytelling topic you'd like us to cover, leave a comment below or email us at hello at beliefagency.com.